holidays are upon us. And you know, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but it's not just Christmas. There are some other very important holidays that are with us. And uh, Jared Hall is with us this morning, who's going to give us a little bit of information about Hanukkah. Or as a friend of mine likes to pronounce it, Chanuka. Before... (laughs) Before Is that, that Chanukah, <laughs> yeah, it was. It, they, we were talking about this, you know, you, and I said something about Hanukkah, and they said, "You mean Chanukah?" I'm like, mm-hmm, "No, that's, <laughs> that's absolutely what I felt." Man, yes. that's, that's that's not. So it's you know for for those of us who are who are Christians, and you know we we've heard the the biblical story. Jesus was Jewish, and the whole thing. Hanukkah can be a bit of a mystery, and it's like, well, how does that tie in, and how is it part of our Christian heritage as well? How does it all blend together? Yeah, it's a great question. I think for most people, when they hear Hanukkah, they just think Jewish Christmas. Right, right exactly. And it's really Socks. not that at all, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and it's like, it's just uh, eight crazy nights, you know, the Adam Sandler film. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, there's actually, there's a, a, a kind of a pretty profound experience that happened in America with uh, young Jewish immigrants early in the 20th century where Jewish children would look in upon their you know, neighbors, and they'd have these Christmas trees, and they really, why can't we have a Christmas tree, you yeah. know? And one dad said, son, the last time our people saw a tree on fire that wasn't consumed, we wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. <laughs> so That was enough. <laughs> that yeah, we're was good. enough. We don't need one of those. So <laughs> That's a good introduction to Hanukkah. Thank you. So... What people are usually surprised about is that it's actually found in the Bible. But when you talk about Jewish feasts and you go to the feast passages like Leviticus 23, you don't see Hanukkah there. So it's like, well, how is it in the Bible if it's not one of the commanded feasts in Leviticus 23? So we're actually going to open up, we're going to start in the New Testament and go to the Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 22. Because I think you might be surprised to find out that your Lord and Savior actually took a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. So in 22, it says this, Then the Feast of Dedication, or the Festival of Lights, took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple complex in Solomon's colonnade. Then the Jews surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So let's pause there. So it says the Festival of Dedication. So what is the mm-hmm. Festival of Dedication? Because this is something we're not going to find spelled out plainly in the Old Testament in terms of Jewish festivals. Well, at this point, we're in the first century A.D., and we need to back up to the 400 years of silence, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit of a misnomer, but that time period between the closing of the Old Testament canon before the historical records in the New Testament start Mm -hmm. up. And what happens during that time period is, is that when we close the Old Testament canon, the Persians are in control of Israel. And then what happens is, is that there's a scrappy little king out of Greece that comes and takes the world by fire. And we all know him as Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who was a fighting king, a military king. He had a just an amazing military mind. He could very, very accurately predict how much supplies his army would need. Mm-hmm. He could predict how many men he would have to send to a particular place in order to conquer it. It's very effective. And so as he was sweeping the world, one of the countries or regions that he conquered was Persia, which included Israel. Mm-hmm. And during that time period, Alexander the Great did something that nobody had really done before. And that's and not only did he 
conquered places, but he spread his culture as well. Mm-hmm. And so he set up Greek games. He set up Greek education centers so people learn the Greek language and Greek philosophy. And then what he told his soldiers is he, he sent out his soldiers unmarried, and he said, when you conquer an area, stay there mm-hmm. and marry mm-hmm. and have families and start Greek families. And so that's what they did. Now, one of the things that you may not know about Alexander the Great is that he died very surprisingly. He was 33 years old when he died. And when he died, he didn't have an heir to the throne. His wife was actually pregnant with their first son. And so in that power vacuum, there was the division of the Greek empire. So very quickly, in less than 20 years, it takes over the world, and then boom, it's divided up right. into civil And that's where war. the Greek city-states came from? Exactly. Yep. And so to the north of Israel, you had uh, one section called the Seleucids. And then to the south of Israel in Egypt, you had the Ptolemies. And these two areas would fight over Israel. And if you're familiar with Israel's geography, Israel is a land bridge. So it's next Mm -hmm. to the Mediterranean Sea Mm -hmm. and it's next to a desert. So if you want to control trade routes, you got to control Israel. So the Ptolemies and the Seleucids would be fighting over Israel. Now, when the Ptolemies were in control of Israel, they were like, hey, you guys be Jewish. All these weird Jewish things that you guys do, we don't really understand it, but that's okay. You be you. You don't need to be <laughs> wrestling around on the ground without clothes on. You're fine. You don't need to – you want to speak Hebrew, you speak Hebrew, that's fine. Now, when the Seleucids were in control of Israel, they're like, no, 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 no. We're keeping this Greek dream alive. You're mm-hmm. going to be Greek one way or another. Now, there was one particular Seleucid king who was very, very aggressive in this, and his name was Antiochus Epiphany. Epiphany means visible God. So you can get a picture of yes. how he thought of himself, yeah. right? A bit of an inflated ego. A little. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I was like, well, I mean, I got a couple of names for myself too. You know, it's, it's like, why not? Yeah. It's like Herod the Great. Like, who came up with that? You know, <laughs> not his mother. So Herod the okay. Yeah, that's right. Herod the average, you know, <laughs> Herod on the bench. So Antiochus, he does a couple of things against Israel that's very aggressive. So one, he outlaws the study of the Torah. Mm -hmm. So they can't study the Hebrew scriptures anymore. Uh, Two, he gets rid of circumcision, which is the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. So they had to be uncircumcised as Greeks would be. And then third, they can no longer uphold the Sabbath. So they have Mm -hmm. to work on Shabbat on Saturdays. And so this is all pressing in against God's covenant, right? Their identity as God's people, God's word, God's sign of the covenant, and God's sign of rest, right? Mm -hmm. So this is like, this is done. And then what he does is he goes into the temple, he goes into the holy of holies, he slaughters a pig, and he sprinkles its blood everywhere. So in the very place that only the high priest could go once a year to make an atonement of sins for all of the people on Yom Kippur, he goes in there with an unclean animal and spreads his blood everywhere and then erects a statue to the Greek god Zeus in there. Guess who Zeus looks like? Him. Him, that's right. What do you know? That's right. So, and then what they do is they take another statue and they parade it around the villages of Israel and they tell all the Israelites, you're going to make sacrifices to this God right now, right now, right now. And so then, finally, in one of the villages, Moda'in, when the Greek, when the Seleucid soldiers are like, who's going to do the sacrifice? This Jewish man comes forward to make the sacrifice. Because, you know, 
what happens? You're being persecuted. And you're like, I just want yeah. this to go away. Right. And so another villager uh, who's a priest strikes that man dead, kills the soldier, and then ignites a civil war. Right. And so what happens is, is he gets this uprising. It's basically guerrilla warfare of the Israelites versus the Seleucids for three years. And they're able to defeat Antiochus's army and push them out of the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. Israel becomes a solidified nation, one single nation for the first time since King Solomon. Mm-hmm. Think about that. That's amazing. 600, mm-hmm. uh, 800 years since they've been one single solid country, right? Right. And then they go into the temple and they have to cleanse the temple. And so what they do is, is they have to take all, uh, first they have to relight the menorah, the candelabra, and so they need olive oil for that. Well, they have enough olive oil to last one day, but it takes eight days to sanctify the olive oil. So they're like, do we light it and let it run out? And then when we have enough oil in eight days, we'll light it again, or do we just wait eight days? And they're like, we've been waiting three years. Yeah. Like, we need to light this baby up. And so they light it up. And the oil that was only to last one day while they're waiting for the purification process lasted eight days until they had more olive oil to then refill the candelabra and keep it burning. As it was intended, as God intends, that the light would never go out in the temple, right? Right. Because it's it's a representation of his light, that his light would never go out. That's the point Mm -hmm. of this. And so they take all of the the blocks out of the uh, Holy of Holies because they've all been— uh, defiled, and they redo that, and uh, they have a little bit of a conflict, right? Because these these stones have been defiled, but they're also the holy of holy stones. Mm-hmm. So they just put them off to the side and keep them. So right. they're, they're just they're there, right? But you know, you don't get rid of them, but you don't keep them. You know, right. it's kind of like some tchotchkes from your grandmother, right? <laughs> you get it at Christmas time, like right? I, can't, I don't really need it, but I also don't think I can get rid of it either, right? Uh, so you just keep it, mm-hmm. and so that's that's the. You know, that's, that's what they're celebrating here. You know, not quite 200 years, about 150 years later, yeah. this is a full-on holiday of, of God's deliverance of, of the Jewish yes. people from this horrible leader, Antiochus Epiphanes, the visible mm-hmm. God who was oppressing them, who defiled their temple, and now they have their temple back. And it's a celebration that they were able to now be fully invested in their covenant. They can circumcise again. They can study the Torah again. They can keep Shabbat again, and Jesus comes to celebrate that, the Feast of Lights, right? The, wow. the, the yeah. candelabra is burning. And when he gets there, they ask him this question. Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Now, for sake of time, I'll tell you what he says to him. Verse 30, the Father and I are one. Now, when he says that, he's mm-hmm. not just saying that God and I are super tight. He's saying I'm God. I'm God. Mm-hmm. Now think about that. He's saying that and says, where is he at? He's in the temple complex. Mm-hmm. And he's saying he is the visible God. Mm. <laughs> oh, a few feathers got rubbed. That's that right. Yes. We're going to have a little bit of a bonfire. So what do the uh, people react in verse 31? And again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. And Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Which of these works are you stoning me for? Mm, It's one of my favorite verses Mm. in the Bible, right? Jesus is uh, imploring of sarcasm, right? It's the language of, it's the humor of God is what sarcasm is, right? Because he's not being serious. Yeah. 
He said, we aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, isn't it written in your scripture, I said you are gods, if he called those whom the word of God came to gods and the scripture cannot be broken? Do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world, because I said I am the Son of God? If I'm not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. But if I'm doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. The way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father then they were trying again to seize him, yet he eluded their grasp. So one of the questions, I don't know, maybe you, you're wondering right now, Deb, is, is if you're going to stone Jesus in the temple complex, mm-hmm. where are you getting stones big enough to bludgeon Jesus to death with? Very interesting. I've mm-hmm. never thought about that. Those were the stones that if were they removed. they were set aside. Interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. I hadn't even thought about that before. And it's so interesting because Daniel talked about Antiphicus. Oh, we're going to go to Daniel. Yeah. He prophesied that he would be there. And then Jesus is fulfilling that he's the true Messiah. That's right. And he's right at the place where, and, you know, Antiphicus said he was the Messiah. That's right. And he's the light of the world, Mm -hmm. right? Right? At the festival of lights. That will never go out. Amen. Mm-hmm. So in Daniel chapter 11, Daniel prophesizes this. He says, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth will be far richer than the others. By the power he gains through his riches, he will store up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a warrior king will arise. He will rule a vast realm and do whatever he wants. But as soon as he is established, his kingdom will be broken up and divided to the four winds of heaven, but not to his descendants. It will not be the same kingdom that he ruled because his kingdom will be uprooted and will go to others beside him, right? So right there, that's Pretty clear. the prophecy of Alexander the Great. And then he goes and he describes the Seleucid and the Tomies in, in uh, a good bit of detail. And the rest of 11, I'll just uh, jump ahead um, to Antiochus Epiphanes. And so what does it say that he will do in verse 30? Uh, ships of Katim will come against him and being intimidated, he will withdraw then he will rage against the Holy Covenant and take action. On his return, he will favor those who abandon the Holy Covenant. His forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress. They will abolish the daily sacrifice and set up the abomination of desolation. Right? And what I love about all of this is that we are intertwined, irro- irrevocably intertwined with Jewish tradition Jewish heritage, the prophecy, it all comes together. We're not separate. We are one. Right. And and it just it to me it's absolutely fascinating the historic aspect of it, the prophetic aspect of it, and the fact that it all points that Jesus is our savior. That's right. That's right. Love it. And so there was a story about um uh a messianic family, so Jewish people who believe in Jesus and they were uh, attending a Christian school, and they were having a Christmas party, and the child wanted to bring Hanukkah cookies, dreidel cookies, whatever, sure. uh, and shape them in a menorah. And uh, the teacher said he couldn't hand them out. Said, "No, no, no. We're celebrate. We're Christians. We're celebrating Christmas. We're not celebrating those Jewish things, right?" And if you think about that, it's like, <laughs> well, this is clearly described. In your Bible, mm-hmm. Jesus, your Savior, mm-hmm. went to Jerusalem to celebrate Hanukkah, and you're too good for Hanukkah? 
<laughs> well, you know, and I think I think people get confused is that celebrating the heritage doesn't mean that that's where you're putting your faith. Right. Just right. because you celebrate the Hanukkah, you celebrate Hanukkah, you light the menorah, you you appreciate the traditions of Jewish heritage, doesn't mean that that is where your faith is, right? Or where your salvation right. is. You know who Jesus is, but you appreciate the heritage as well, right? And then we don't believe we understand the revelation didn't stop there, right? right. Yeah. And so some people go, okay, so what is, so what is Hanukkah? Okay, so the, one, they they light the menorah, mm-hmm. right? Now you'll notice that the menorah is not a candelabra. It's not the golden lampstand. And the reason is, is that it has eight branches. The golden lampstand has seven branches. The reason being is that the golden lampstand has one for every day and they're oil, so they burn. But what you see with the menorah is that it has eight branches because the there's usually one that's higher than the others. Mm-hmm. That one's called the Shemesh candle or the servant candle. And so that's the candle you use to light the other ones. And so if you just look at it, you can tell it's not the same thing as a golden lampstand when you see a menorah. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, you, the game, when you spin the little toppy thing, the dreidel, <laughs> what's up with that, right? Well, when the, um, when the Seleucids were ruling over Israel, one of the things that they would do is, is that they would, um, the old men would study the scriptures, the Torah scrolls, but when the soldiers would come by, they'd put a tabletop over it, and they'd spin a dreidel. And, and the soldiers just thought they were playing a gambling game. Mm-hmm. And then when the soldiers had passed, they'd take it away, and then they would return to studying the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so that's how spinning the dreidel became associated with Hanukkah, reading, right? Reading the scriptures. And so what the Hanukkah says on it is it's four Hebrew letters, um, and it's an acronym, Nes Gadol Hayashem, which means a great miracle happened there. Um, and if you're in Israel, there's one letter that's different on their dreidels, Neskadol Hayah Po, a great miracle happened here. Yeah. Mm. And oh. then, uh, what do you eat? You know, cause what's a holiday without food? Well, anything cooked in oil. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's an amazing holiday. And so this Friday night, French fries. We're going to start celebrating Hanukkah, and so uh, some people think that I'm telling everybody they have to celebrate Hanukkah. I'm not saying that. I'm nope. just saying that it's a wonderful holiday. It's a biblical holiday, and I think that uh, God provi- God did what God promises mm. to do, which is to protect his people. God mm. did what he promised to do, protect his covenant. God did what he promised to do, that his name would be esteemed in all the earth, mm-hmm. right? And we can trust that for the future, for our future as well. Amen. I mean, going through that, God preserved them, going through what we're going to have to go through as believers in Jesus. He will be preserving us. And I think what God's doing right now in the war in Gaza is he's preserving his people. Jared, thank you. Thanks, guys. 